we're back. I know I said in our last episode of Movie Maker when we had our guest Slash that maybe we should just pack it in because how are we going to top Slash? But listener, we are going to try. I hope that while I've been away, you've been enjoying episodes of the new Movie Maker podcast, Actual Facts, with Eric Stoyer and Jason Beatrue, two of my favorite people at talking and being smart and making me laugh, where they use recent and not-so-recent documentaries as a starting point for very provocative, smart, deeply felt conversations about how we live and communicate. These are two guys who, for lack of a better word, are just sensitive and thoughtful dudes who really do care about what they're watching and really do care about how it affects them and affects other people and how it how we can improve communication with each other and improve our shared understanding of what happens in the world and i'm just super happy to be teamed up with their genius genius brains also how are you not going to listen to a podcast about documentaries by one guy whose name rhymes with voyeur and another guy's name who is literally be true come on Anyways, I'm Tim Malloy, and today our guest is Kelsey Parker, the relatively new vice president of animation at Hulu Originals. I know half of you are saying, finally, animation, and the other half are saying, but I don't like animation. But wait, wait, you second group of people, because she has some excellent universal advice on pitching and feedback. She's someone who's been on both sides as a creative and executive. This interview just took place at Scan Animation Fest in Atlanta, where I was thrilled to spend a few days learning about the SCAD community. SCAD stands for Savannah College of Art and Design, if you don't know. It always turns up on Movie Maker's list of the best film schools in the country, and being there these past few days, I completely understand why it is so well regarded. It's doing all kinds of cool things from offering a minor and making sneakers, to making documentaries about that minor, to producing its own sitcom every year, to opening not one, but two of the LED volume screens that are being increasingly used in game-changing shows like The Mandalorian. SCAD students are learning to use this technology and also act in front of these screens, things that a lot of film schools just cannot offer. I was just super impressed by everything, and one of the things that impressed me most was a talk by Kelsey Parker when she received the 2022 SCAD Animation Fest Award of Excellence. We talked the next day, and here is that conversation. You're going to hear about her early screenwriting, how she moved over to the executive side, and what she wants to pitch. I've seen a lot of shows lately from Curb Your Enthusiasm to Hacks, where someone goes out to pitch to a streaming service or a network, and the executives just seem kind of fake and shallow and not that interested. And listening to Kelsey Parker will tell you what's actually happening when you go meet with executives. They want the project to work as much as you do. So with that, here's our guest. Kelsey Parker, and a huge thanks to SCAD Animation Fest for making this happen. Kelsey Parker, welcome to Movie Maker. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's so wonderful to talk with you. Uh, I got to hear your speech at SCAD Atlanta yesterday for the Animation Festival. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And just to start, what struck me is that you're now running animation for Hulu. And some of the first stories you ever saw were cartoons. Yes. <laughs> it was hard to pull you away. What was, how, how important were they to your childhood? So important. I think because, like I was saying yesterday, I had the Nickelodeon programming schedule memorized as a five-year-old. <laughs> and my mom was, like, not at all into it. And she'd be like, you have to get out of the house. You can't do this. Um, and I also have an older brother who works in entertainment. He's at ABC Signature. He was at Comedy Central with me for a few years. Is that funny or die before that? And so 
everything he was doing. I was like, what are you doing? What are your friends watching? Your friends are watching Ninja Turtles? I need to watch Ninja Turtles. We're watching Gargoyles? Okay. And then, like, South Park came along, and he was like, absolutely not. You're in the third grade. And I was like, but who kills Kenny? You know, so, and I would lean in, and so that it was a huge part of my life. And I just really enjoyed watching TV when it was the animation, and then again, following my brother's footsteps. MTV, coming home and watching yeah. music videos. And then you get TRL, you're just into the pop culture sphere. And I loved it so much, but didn't realize what I'm doing now is a job you could be doing. Yeah. And once I got into development, it all made so much sense. It clicked that this has been an obsession of mine, <laughs> basically since birth. Um, but it's clicked now, and I'm like, oh, now I understand why. Yeah. I love film and TV and storytelling generally so much. Yeah. So you went to, I know I'm skipping a few years, but you went to University of Michigan. <laughs> I did. Not when you were six, but you were six, but kind of. My mom went to Michigan. My oh, brother yeah. went to Michigan. I went to Michigan. My little sister went to Michigan. My dad paid for all of it, so he counts himself as a Wolverine. Um, so yes, that was deep in my blood, <laughs> even at six. I wasn't on campus yet, but I, I knew already. Oh my God. And you knew it was going to be screenwriting? You knew. That no, that I actually thought I was going to be teaching. Oh, um, that's what As I your parents. applied to school for. Yeah, my parents were teachers. I thought I was going to teach. And I commend teachers. I think they have some of the toughest jobs in the world. That's why I love Abbott Elementary so much. It's like a great reflection of what really goes on mm-hmm. in the public education system. And that's all very important to me. But I also saw as like, when I'm standing at the front of a class, or even I coach swimming, so I'm standing in front of my kids in my lane, I have their attention way more if I'm talking about TV and pop culture and music and things than when I'm just talking about whatever the subject is we're teaching. So how can I make it relatable to the content they're consuming? Um, And so then I realized, like, oh, going into media making and content is somewhat of a teaching device as well. Because like I said yesterday, if you don't have the privilege to explore the world and experience the world and other cultures and see other people and get other perspectives on life, you're getting all of that from the media you're consuming. Yeah. So I realized that it was in its own way a teaching tool as well. Well, that kind of flows into a thing I didn't know how I was going to bring up. Your first film that you wrote is about swimming. It's about a guy who goes back. Yeah, how'd you know that? There's IMDb. It's, <laughs> it's easy. Deep cuts. It's easy. Yeah, the deep cuts. And then the next one was about a beauty pageant contestant. Um, I actually wrote Beauty Queen first. Okay. And we made, but we made it second, but I wrote it first. Nice. Yeah. So how did you first start writing scripts? It was in college? Yeah, it was in college. Um, once I decided to, thank you, decided to be a film major, you start taking all the film classes. I took my first screenwriting class, and Michigan has a really competitive screenwriting program. So basically I made it into the second class. They cut our class in half. And then the second class is where you rewrite your first feature. They also, we also write full features in a semester. We're one of the very full few programs in the country that does that, where they make you write the whole 90 to 110 page feature in five months. Wow. It's very aggressive. Wow. And so I wrote Beauty Queen and I made it into the second class. And I remember re-breaking my outline I'm having such a hard time with my lead character because she was a pageant queen with alopecia. She was 17. I lost my hair when I was six. Oh, wow. I played rugby in college. And though, you know, there is the cosmetic side of alopecia that's hard to deal with, I had kind of already moved beyond that. I stopped yeah. wearing my wig when I was 13. Yeah. And so identifying with a teenager who's in a competition that's all about looks 
was really hard for me. Oh, wow. Um, and I remember going to my screenwriting professor's office after finishing my script and sobbing because I was like, I just got through the semester and I hate my lead character. Whoa. She's horrible. <laughs> it's like, she's not dealing with her alopecia right because I was, I'd been fine with it, you know. By the, I was 19 and I was like, I'm good with being bald. Don't wow. wear a wig, you're fine. <laughs> um, so I think there was a lot of identity struggle in trying to tell a dramedy type story in this space. And so then, once I got to the third screenwriting class, which is where I wrote Shark Tank, the swimming one, I just wanted to do comedy and something that was going to make me laugh and be fun. And gotcha. I was a big fan of Superbad at the time, so I wanted like a hard, funny. I came into school like Juno, Little Miss Sunshine. That's what I was trying to do. And then I was like, I need to laugh. This is it's good for telling great stories, but I just want to laugh because this is too emotionally draining. <laughs> that I totally see in the stuff that you've greenlit at Hulu and that you've worked on at Hulu. Like, definitely the hard laugh. And yeah. definitely, like, if, even if it's, like, pushing a little bit where some people are going to be like, oh, no, like, that's, a, that's an aggressive laugh. Like, that's why we're here. Exactly. Like, exactly. How yeah. do we push boundaries? How do we subvert expectations? How do we surprise people and be irreverent? But, again, always earning it. We're not doing it just for the sake of it. And even as a Comedy Central, it was the same yeah. thing, you know. When I was there, I helped develop Southside. Yeah. Um, I got to work on Hood Jason with James Davis, Legends of Chamberlain Heights, and all these great shows that I think, because they all had underrepresented characters, were saying something. Yeah. And there's a reason behind it, and it's a reason for it to live, but we're really earning yeah. what we're going for and earning the silliness and crassness if we're going there. So, how did the feedback that you got on your early writing translate into the feedback that you give now you talked about it a little bit yesterday and I just thought the, your way of noting was brilliant oh thanks <laughs> like, I have a few pe- specific people to credit so Jim Bernstein who runs a screenwriting program at Michigan who's just he wrote Renaissance Man My Ducks 3 he's great mm-hmm. he's my screenwriting professor and we did a lot of peer feedback in school and our classes were very small the highest level screenwriting class 423 there were only six of us in the class wow yeah and so all we're doing every class and it's three hour blocks you know once a week is reading each other's pages and giving feedback on them and talking about how we're going to break story and break structure and when you're giving real peer feedback like that face to face you have to know how to give constructive criticism and not be a jerk (laughs) you know and so I think Jim really taught us that and was really great about opening up a comfortable space to be able to share your story and also to help give feedback to your peers. And so that was great. And then once I got to Comedy Central, um, Jim Sharp, who was the head of development there, was really great about telling us, reiterating, make sure you're always asking questions. Yeah. Make sure you're reading this and how would you perceive this and take it if someone were saying it to you. Yeah. But his biggest thing was to ask questions. Because like though we're giving notes all the time and we're experts in it, you know and I say that with quotes, because like, who's an expert in anything? Um, it's all still subjective. Yeah. Because it's storytelling. (laughs) So it's all still extremely subjective. So who am I to say it has to be this way as opposed as asking a question and saying, well, could it be this way if we're pushing it in that direction? How will that impact A, B, and C within our story? Yeah. And do you find that there's one particular question? Because obviously you're asking questions about specific characters and you can't generalize, but... Are there any general questions that you find just crack things open? Yeah, I think the why now is Mm -hmm. always something that really gets people thinking, especially because you pitch a show and it might not be on air for another year or two. Yeah. 
So what makes the show stand out amongst a very crowded landscape? That's probably the biggest question that helps not only the writer and creator to open it up, but us as development executives also to know because we have to take what we're hearing, you know, with maybe a VP and a coordinator, and we are internally pitching that to our bosses, and they're pitching it to their bosses, and they're pitching it to their bosses in order to get, you know, these mega investments. Shows aren't cheap, so you're spending a lot of money on it, and so you have to understand that why not for yourself as well for the, as well as for the creator. Ridiculously, it has never crossed my mind before that the person who's sitting across the desk from you who you're pitching to is actually your advocate, and the reason they're pushing you is because they're going to have to go advocate on your behalf. Yeah. <laughs> they're not being mean. No, that, and that's like a, a big part of being a development executive. And I think that's why it's so important also to build those personal relationships with your creators. I think we did a lot of this at Comedy Central. That's why our shows... You know, the, the leads in our shows are playing heightened versions of themselves or their names were in the title of their shows. And obviously, everything they did had a massive personal connection to what the specific show was. Yeah. Um, and we were really a boots-on-the-ground company under Kent Alterman. And he yeah. would encourage us, go to comedy shows, make friends with the comedians, get to know them, know what they want their stories to be, help them to hone their voices. It's really our jobs to be advocates more than anything. And then... When you're on the other side of the table, when you're getting these notes, I mean, we talk to so many screenwriters who say, um, or directors who say, your job is to ignore all the studio notes and make your vision. What do you do with that when you're trying to be someone's friend? I always try to remind people we're on the same team. Yeah. You know, and again, that we go back, we have the same end goal, and that's to make the best content possible. I know there are situations where places are like well it's we're a children's programming network so you have to bring pull that back a little bit and soften it mm. i've been fortunate enough to work at places where i think we have the freedom to kind of do what we want obviously we still have the limitations of s&p which is good <laughs> we love our s&p teams um but you know being at a place like comedy central being at a place like hulu we have the freedom to kind of tell the stories we want to tell and so i think understanding that it's more of a partnership as opposed to like I'm your overlord and you have to do what I say is uh, the best understanding to get us on the same page to again we're all rooting for each other's success there's no world in which there's some evil corporate overlord who wants you to fail and I think people understanding that goes a long way yeah, I mean you're free to write whatever you want but it yeah. just might not be on Hulu <laughs> yeah exactly and that's you know yeah. I've had people I've passed on things and I've had them call me and be upset about a pass and I've just been like that's okay. You can go sell it elsewhere. That's yeah. why we have all these yeah. other places to sell. That's the joy of it. It's a competitive landscape for a reason. And then, is there any general advice that you have for anybody who's going to come in and pitch you? I mean, and for anybody who wants to get into animation specifically. Because some of the advice I heard yesterday, not from you, but from other panelists, was don't start off writing animation scripts. Maybe write a novel. Maybe write a comic book. Maybe write something that could become animated. Interesting. Yeah. I've never really heard I've never that approach heard that ever. That yeah. <laughs> Just write what you know yeah. and do it and do, make as much as you can, even if you're doing short formats. If I can see your animation style and know you're doing a short with, you know, this one character and evolving that character just through Instagram videos, I can see how the evolution of that could be possible and just getting a nugget of something. I've seen music videos that I'm like, oh, we could adapt that into a show. You wow. know? And so I think like you can find it kind of anywhere. So I encourage people I have a lot of friends or even students who would say, 
I want to be a writer. And I'd say, hey, so cool. What are you writing? Like, show me something. And they'd be like, well, I don't have anything. Yeah. You should always have a sample ready to go at all times. Sometimes it's spec script. You don't really need those anymore. But if you want to be a writer, be writing all the time and have stuff ready to go all the time. I'm just being conscious of time. Okay. You don't need a spec script anymore? I, well, it just, it depends. Yeah. You know, I haven't really seen them as much. I, I, when I'm staffing, I usually go based on samples more than specs. There's some specs. I think in college we were encouraged to write specs, but that was also 11 years ago, you know? And so sometimes they're helpful as, a, I think, an exercise and a tool. To, can you totally shift to what the show is doing episodically? I think that's a good skill to have. But if I'm staffing someone or trying to find an original concept to turn into a show, it's all samples. Do you, since you started off writing, I mean, you're writing shorts, but with an eye toward writing features, do you eventually want Hulu to go into animated features? I don't know. Yeah, I want to, I think I want to first establish what our strategy is and what we're going to define as success um, and how we're going to maintain the success we already have in the adult animated space and then if it feels like the right avenue to open up into, let's do it. But <laughs> I want to find, you know, our first level of success. I've only been in this role for two and a half months. Um, so figure out what that base level is and then expand it and also see how the audience responds to animated features, specifically in the adult space because we haven't really seen that many animated features that are in the adult space in the while. That's true. Team America, I feel like, was like the last hard, funny, released in theaters, theatrical, <laughs> like, you know, wow. feature. Like, there's plenty of multi-quadrant shows that are, an or movies that are animated. My family watched Soul together. We love yeah. watching Kanto together, you know? Yeah. There's plenty of things like, like, watch Sea Beast, but yeah. hard, funny, adult, that's not a spinoff or attached to a show. You know, I went and saw Bob's Burgers in theaters, I loved it, but that already has a base set there, just a pure original. I haven't seen that in the adult space in a very long time. I don't know why it does. It hasn't connected, because I remember seeing Team Police on the Paramount lot yeah. in 2004, <laughs> and we're like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen, yeah. and then it completely went no nowhere. No one really does it. And I still this make people watch it. It's expensive, mm. you know, but I'm like, oh, are there ways we can tell stories in the style of what Pixar does, but more mature themes and make it more adult. If it's not hard funny, can you tell a dramedy indie type story, tonally indie story, as a feature that is animated? So how, like, how do we figure that out? But it's a path I'd like to explore, and I think we have a lot of awesome resources internally. I would love to work more with our partners within the Disney system to figure that out, but we'll see. <laughs> like, dream big. We'll yeah. See. The last thing, I know we're out of time, but just something you said yesterday that I thought was brilliantly put was just, we're not curing cancer here, but we might give somebody a laugh when they're going through chemotherapy. And I just, I have just found that to be true. Like, yeah. And just, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And that was, I do, I've never I think, heard it put that you way. You know, like, our jobs are serious. We take our jobs seriously. But I also think it's really funny that someone pays me to help make comedy shows and to help make cartoons. And again, I take it seriously because it is serious and it's really cool. Um, but I also think it's very silly if you hear just about some of the old school tropes of Hollywood and staplers being thrown at people and people yelling and things like that. I just think it's so unnecessary because I'm like, we are literally making comedy. Yeah. And how lucky are we to be able to have these silly little jobs and make comedy. And I said, well, we're not curing cancer. We didn't cure COVID. Take it seriously, you won't take it so seriously you have to be mean to someone, yeah. but also know there is 
an impact there that's really important. You can help someone on their bad day, pull them out of a dark place. You can help someone when they're going through something really tough have that sort of level of escapism or even relatability through media. And I think that's really important. Could not agree more. Huge thank you to our guest, Kelsey Parker, the awesome vice president of animation for Hulu Originals. Huge thank you to SCAD Animation Fest and to SCAD in general for just an outstanding few days learning about animation, learning about the development process, pitching, all sorts of new technology coming out that SCAD is really leading the way with among schools. You're going to read a lot more about this in MovieMaker.com, so keep an eye out. I'm Tim Malloy from MovieMaker. If you'd like to subscribe to us, that's great. If you'd like to recommend us to a friend, that's even better. If you just want to enjoy this and keep it totally yourself, you know, that's your right. You found it and you enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you soon.